0: Welcome to another in our series of Kehillat Israel podcasts. This is a recording of Rabbi Amy Bernstein's weekly Friday morning Torah study.
1: We're in a very familiar part of our Torah. We're in a part that we tell around the Seder table because we're still in Yitzhak Mitzrayim, we're still in the going out from Egypt. Yeah. As usual, we're going to set aside kind of our usual understanding uh, of the story and the narrative, and we're going to move deeply into the text. Because the rabbinic tradition, especially here, this is one of those parshiot where it really, it's really meaty for the rabbis. There's a lot of midrash around this episode, right? Yitzhak Mitzrayim is a huge thing in the rabbinic imagination, and so there's lots of Midrash written about this scene in particular, you know, the whole going out from Egypt in general. But this scene in particular that we're coming up to is is very much um, a rich bed for the rabbis um, where lots of stuff grows. So we will take our time and to move through
2: where grow.
1: like a, you know, okay, no. garden bed, right? <laughs> Okay.
2: Okay.
1: <laughs> She's a little slow. Okay. The mystical tradition also looks deeply at this text, and really, um, there's a lot of spiritual instruction. That comes from this text. So we will work through it, and then I want to go back uh, to a piece of it and really explicate um, the spiritual teaching from our tradition around some of these verses. Okay, so let's start at 1317. Now when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not
0: lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although it was nearer. For God said, the people may have a change of heart when they see war and return to Egypt. So God led the people round about by way of the wilderness of the Sea of Reeds. Now the Israelites went up armed out of the land of Egypt, and Moses took with him the bones of Joseph, who had exacted an oath from the children of Israel, saying, God will be sure to take notice of you, and then you shall carry up my bones from here with you. They set out from Sukkot and encamped uh, and, and at Etham at the edge of the wilderness. The Lord went before them in a pillar of cloud by day to guide them along the way and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light that they might travel day and night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did
1: not depart from before the people. So Pharaoh lets them go and God does not lead them. Derech Eretz Plishim, by the way of the land of the Philistines uh, even though it was closer, because the text tells us that God's concerned that the people, if they have to fight the Philistines, if they should get into a battle with the Philistines, that they're going to flip out, and because this is a bunch of slaves, they don't know what to do, and they're going to flip out and want to return to Egypt. So God leads them uh, the roundabout path, as we're told, by the way of the Midbar, right, the wilderness, <laughs> And the midbar is the midbar of Yamsuf, of the Sea of Reeds. Uh, not the Red Sea, right? <laughs> so some people say the Red Sea. It's not the Red Sea. The Red Sea is right further down. Uh, Suf is not a Hebrew word. Suf is a loan word from Egyptian. And it means uh, papyrus reed. So those, the reeds that they made papyrus out of. That's Suf. So Yam Suf, the Sea of Reeds, literally. Is that
0: word used for where Moses is put at the beginning? He's put like in the Nile among some reeds.
1: I don't think Suf is used there. You'll have to check, though. Check and see. (laughs) Suf Ganiot. There you go. Donuts made out of papyrus the they're water. delicious <laughs> delicious Thank you Ruben. yes yeah, always connecting for us one thing to another <laughs> so this uh, we're we're told here that God leads them by the security route because God's afraid they're going to flip out if they see battle really there our spiritual tradition says as, as Bert was saying earlier the short ways not always the short way there's a midrash that says, uh, or, or a Hasidic story, I can't remember which it is, that you know, a person comes uh, to a fork in the road and there's someone standing there and he says, which is the short way? And the person standing there says, that way is the shortest route, but it's long. This one is the longest route, but it's short. <laughs> and so the guy says, well, I'm going to go the short route. Right, So he goes to the short route, and it, it is way shorter, and he can see the town that he's trying to go to, except there's all of this stuff in the way, brambles and all this stuff, and he can't figure out a way. And he tries, and he tries, and he tries, and he can't figure out a way over uh, all of that mess. So he comes back. He says, look, I thought you told me that was the short route. He said, I told you that was the short route that's long. There's the long route that's short. Right, And so he went the long route, and it was much shorter for him to get to the town. Um, so, so it's, yeah, yeah. so it's the same word. We've yeah, right, we confirmed Suf is the Bas-soof. same word where the teva, where no, the ark yeah. of the basket is placed.
0: Is no, 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 no. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, what do we learn from this? We learn that, right, that not the path that is meant for us is not always the direct path. The direct path is, is the direct path. That's about it, but it's fraught with its own danger and sometimes we have to take the circuitous route in order to get where we're going safely uh, and whole and intact <laughs> and um, uh, Rabbi Shefa gold says, well, of course we had to go through the midbar because that is what allows for Israel's transformation from slaves to I mean they never really make it past <laughs> some of that right but but they, ha- they have to travel through the Midbar. We all do. You, you can't just go from Egypt, right, to the, the most direct route to the Promised Land. It doesn't work that way. She says it, it works by going through the Midbar. We all have to go through the wilderness where things fall away, where we're challenged, where we're pushed, where there's not a lot of road signs, where there's not a lot of right indication of where we're supposed to go, what comes next. And that's, that's the path of transformation and that's how it always is. And that's why it's here, because that's how it is. Yes. Lots of literature on journey, right? That and and lots of Jewish literature on and, and this is the Jewish story about journeys. Mm-hmm.
2: I just have a question, you know, so it's called the Shalach, and it, the translation of the Shalach doesn't seem very accurate. The Shalach means that he sent them, and then it says he let them go. It's quite a difference.
1: Yeah, right? So, because, what's the difference? What? Why did Pharaoh send them? Why does it say Shalach? He wanted
2: to get rid of them at that point.
1: <laughs> right? Because what had just happened? The plague.
0: The, last
1: the plague. plague. The last plague, the, the Pharaoh, slaying Pharaoh. of the firstborn, right? So... In the palace, also there was death, right, of the firstborn, whoever, and not just children. I mean, whoever the firstborn was, as adults, right, presumably died. So let them go is quite a different. Right, Pharaoh doesn't let them go. Pharaoh (laughs) sends them out, right? Get out, exactly right. So they are. Let
0: them go resonates with Moses saying, "Let my people go." Right. The implication there is that the Pharaoh was doing what Moses asked him.
1: But if we look at Moses, that Moses language, my, my best guess is he says, et, um, et I think he says, send my people out. Ah, he doesn't say that. I don't know. I have to look at it. Or you can look at it. Um, Alright. So we know what happens next, but let's let's look at it. So we have the pillar of cloud by day and the uh, pillar of fire by night so that the people are have a visible sign of God's protection as they travel. Uh, and during the daytime, they can see the cloud. At night, they see the pillar of fire to protect them. All right. Uh, Chapter... Uh-huh. I'm sorry. Yes? Ruben?
2: Uh, back to... Uh, uh, the, the Israelites went up armed. Is there, they have taken the Egyptians' arms yeah,
1: there's, um, there's a place in the text that tells us at the end of, of the last Parsha that they they took spoils from the Egyptians and the Egyptians were favorably disposed towards the Israelites and gave them lots of stuff. So presumably that included weapons.
0: And we looked and uh, Moses says shlach. My people. Right.
1: Send my people, not let my people yeah. So, right? So, that's the same language yes. used shlach of paro. o.
0: Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah, yeah. And that they may worship me. So, that's God's words. So, that's God. Shlach. Right, right. Shlach amiz, send, send forth my people. V'yavduni, that they may worship me. Mm-hmm. That they may serve me. Meaning, not you. God says, send my people out that they might serve me, not you. Mm-hmm. And then Pharaoh shlach sends them.
0: So the spiritual, let my people go. It can't, you can't just say, send my people go. That doesn't work. No. That's,
1: that's why, yeah. Right. The, the movie script, right? <laughs> right? Not exactly what the Hebrew says, but it's okay. Uh, all right. Let's go to 14. The Lord said to
0: Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp before Pihahirot, he wrote between Migdol and the sea before Balsaphon, you shall encamp facing it by the sea Paro will say of the Israelites, they are astray in the land the wilderness has closed in on them then I will stiffen Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them that I may gain glory through Paro and all his hosts and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord and they did so alright, go ahead When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his courtiers had a change of heart about the people and said, what is this we have done releasing Israel from our service? He ordered his chariot and took his men with him. He took 600 of his picked chariots and the rest of the chariots of Egypt with officers in all of them. The Lord stiffened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he gave chase to the Israelites. As the Israelites were departing defiantly, the Egyptians gave chase to them and all the chariot horses of Pharaoh. His horsemen and his warriors overtook them and camped by the sea near pi herod before Baal-Sephon. As Pharaoh drew near, the Israelites caught sight of the Egyptians advancing upon them. Greatly frightened, the Israelites cried out to the Lord and they said to Moses, was it for want of graves in Egypt that you brought us to die in the wilderness? what have you done to us taking us out of Egypt is this not the very thing we told you in Egypt saying let us be and we will serve the Egyptians for it is better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness but Moses said to the people have no fear stand by and witness the deliverance which the Lord will work for you today for the Egyptians whom you see today you will never see again the Lord will battle for you you will hold your peace all right
1: all right it's a great text. A great, great, great text. The people are wandering. They're being taken by this circuitous route. When all of a sudden, God says to Moses, "Tell the Israelites to turn back and camp at Pi Hachiroch between Migdol and the sea." So they are they're traveling, and all of a sudden, they're told to turn back. They're fleeing the Egyptians or Egypt, right? They're fugitives, essentially. Uh, and now they're being told to turn back, right? Not not a great situation, we can imagine, for them. So they're now to, to, to camp between Migdol and the sea. Why? The text says Pharaoh will say of the Israelites, they are astray in the land, the wilderness has closed in on them. It's a trick to have Pharaoh think they're lost, they're confused, whatever, and they're trapped. What will this do? It will lure Pharaoh to come after them. Then I will stiffen Paro's hearts, and he will pursue them, that I may gain glory through Paro and all his hosts. And the Egyptians will know that I am Yod-Heh-Vav-Heh. we have seen this repeatedly through the text, right? This idea that that heh vav will become... Manifest and everyone will know Yudhei Bavhei has triumphed uh, because Pharaoh is defeated.
0: It's strange, he says he will pursue them. The he, I assume, is Pharaoh? Yes. And the them?
1: Is the Israelites. Israelites. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Okay. So. When the king of Egypt was told Ki ha'am, that the people had fled not exactly accurate right <laughs> given that he just kicked them out uh, but they have in fact gone they have fled uh, Pharaoh and his courtiers had a change of hearts about the people what is this we've done releasing Israel from our service now Pharaoh takes all of his chariots my notes tell me right, this is this is a reference to all of his chariots um, and all of his uh, folk who like could go fast Right, chariots are terrifying things. In the ancient Near East, it was, it was like the equivalent of a tank because nothing could cut it down and it had wheels that could cut people down as it went through a crowd and it could crush people, right? And then whoever's on it is armed. So, so this chariot's coming super fast and you're being shot at by that thing right that if you don't get out of its way will crush you so it's it really was the the tank of the ancient world and it was terrifying so you see 600 tanks coming at you and you're on foot not a good thing the israelites are departing defiantly says our text the end of verse 8 Rita, tell me what that means the end of verse 8. How did they leave? What does that mean? With a high hand. With an upraised hand. That's how they leave Egypt. Uh, is a, in the ancient Near East, gods uh, brandishing a weapon in their, uh, in their right hand would have been a very common recognizable image. Right, that's how gods are portrayed—ancient Near Eastern gods, right, with a weapon and like this. So, how do the Israelites leave the, as gods, right? So, the, the, a lot of this story is about defeating Pharaoh as a god and defeating. Because who wrote these stories? Who were the Israelites? They were converted Canaanites. Canaanites. So, it's very important that the people writing this story, Yehi Boveh, has to triumph not only over the god Pharaoh but over. The Canaanite gods. It is not an accident that they are at Baal Why? Did I just say that? Wasn't Baal the god of the Canaanites? This is a site sacred to Baal. Baal was also the god of the sea and of seafarers. And we're about to have a battle at the sea. Or with the sea, right? If the god is the sea, then you're battling the sea. the sea and the god of the sea. So it's no accident. These things are not accidents, right? They are references um, that would have been very familiar to the people hearing these stories. Alright, so they are before Baal Siphon uh, at where are we? Where are we? So as Pharaoh draws near, so now they've turned around. They've got they They see the sea and they are camped and they seem pretty stuck as Pharaoh draws near. The Israelites caught sight of the Egyptians advancing upon them. Greatly frightened, the Israelites cried out to God and they said to Moses, what do they say to him? Was it for want of graves in Egypt that you brought us to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us, taking us out of Egypt? Is this not the very thing we told you in Egypt? Saying, let us be, and we will serve the Egyptians. For it is better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness.
0: Sounds like Woody Allen, she says. Right? What, there weren't enough graves the, in Egypt. There,
1: what? There, there wasn't a plot? At, at Hillside, by the Nile, down. you had to bring us to Egypt, to, to, to the wilderness, to die. This, this is, first of all, very Jewish. Right? right? I'll sit in the dark. Uh, it's, it's also, very human. They panic. And when we panic, what happens? Blame, blame. The first thing we do is blame it on someone else, Rabbi El Shai in her teaching for this parsha has she cut out a cartoon uh, you know, from some paper and it says it 's like a family in a safari and it 's like oh no we 're lost, but the important thing is to figure out who to blame <laughs> right that 's the most important thing is to figure out whose fault it is right so this is this is human nature. We we panic and when we panic, when we're afraid, we immediately point finger we start point looking around. Who can I put this on? Who can I blame? Who can I pick a fight with? Who right. Who can I sue?
2: <laughs>
1: right? This is this is very this is us. It's interesting that we don't have this conversation. Isn't this what we told you in Egypt, right? So are they making it up? Alternative facts. Alternative facts (laughs) seem to be at play here. Fake news that we we told you in Egypt. Let us be, and we'll serve Pharaoh because it's better that we serve Pharaoh than die in the wilderness. Did they say that? Did they think it and not say it? Did they say it, but we don't have it recorded, right? Doesn't seem to matter because when we are in this state. I told you, I told you if we came this way, right? So this is the second thing we do is I told you so. And this is rigged. And this is rigged.
2: And not fair.
1: And it's not fair. And we knew that. And we told you that. And here we are. (laughs) So, by Yomar Moshe El Ha'am, what does Moshe answer? al Tirau. rau Don't be afraid. Hityatzvu, stand still. Remember we have Nitzav? Remember we've talked about that before, about how present, that when they were presented before God, they were Nitzav, like a pillar. Mm-hmm. What you do to a pillar? What did we say that was? You erect a pillar. Uh, that's what they're to do. Don't be afraid. Hityatzvu, stand stand still. Or U, and see, et yeshuat Adonai, the deliverance, the salvation. Jewish word, by the way. Salvation. Here it is. Get used to it. Salvation. It's ours. Yeshua. (laughs) Salvation. It's ours. And Mordecai Kaplan reclaims this word in the writings of Mordecai Kaplan. He says we have to reclaim the word salvation. And for him, salvation means every human being reaching their full potential. That is Yeshua. That is salvation in the biblical text. It is deliverance from danger. Salvation has nothing to do with sin. There is no relationship between sin and salvation. Salvation is from danger. Rescue. That Rescue. I'm delivered. There's a danger, and I am rescued from it by a force greater than myself. That force being Yudhei Bafe. Bafe, therefore, is the Savior, is Yeshua. Salvation, deliverance. There is no. Nothing about sin in our tradition that goes with Yeshua. I would like us to consider reclaiming Yeshua. I think we could use some imagery around salvation and what that might look like for us. We don't have to agree with Kaplan, but I would like us to think about reclaiming that word. But I digress. um, It's not translated correctly. It should be salvation. They are the same word in Hebrew. Deliverance and salvation. If you're delivered from danger, you're saved from danger. In Hebrew, it's the same, like Shema is listen and hear, right? There's no difference in Hebrew. We have lots of English. English is a, a, a language of many, many, many words, right? It's a language, I've said this before, before, it's a language of breadth, not depth, right? English is about going, finding exactly the right nuance. Is it delivered or saved? In, in Hebrew, it's about going down to the root of the word and its old meanings. And its other meanings because you go down. Right? And so a Hebrew word has many meanings. I'm not saying it has fewer than English words, but, um, but it's because you go down to, to the tripartite root often. All right. So, sorry, I have digressed a lot in the middle of the sentence. Uh, stand still and see Yeshua Adonai, the saving the savioring of Yudhei Vavhei. Asher Ya'aselachem Hayom. This Yudhei that is going to work on your behalf today. Ki Asher Reitemet Mitzrim Hayom. These, these Mitzrim, these Egyptians that you see today. Lotosifu Li'irotam. You won't again see them. Ever again. Adolam. Ever again. Adonai lechem. God will battle for you. and y'all shut, shut up. up. <laughs> so hold your peace. That's a real good way. You hold your peace is not exactly. <laughs> that's y'all. not exactly the tra- I mean, translation. Yes, but and y'all <laughs> shut up. Just shut up. Oh God. Right. Great spiritual teaching. <laughs> really beautiful. I'm telling you, this is really it point, however, beautiful absolutely. teaching. Because uh, when we panic and we start pointing the finger and we start blaming and we start fighting, we either want to fight and make it somebody's fault or we want to get angry. We want to make it Moshe's fault. This is all on you. We told you so. Or we want to flee. We want to go back to Egypt. Right? We want to, fight with somebody or we want to flee that's what happens when we panic fight, hmm? fight or flight it's ingrained it's right it's yeah. programmed into us actually it's all the reading I've done um, t- tells me it's fight flee or cooperate mm-hmm. that those are th- that's how we've always done it when things get bad we fight or we run or we cooperate that's how we hunt we that's how we defeat we right or, or we faint <laughs> or we faint <laughs> <laughs> Right. All right. So we, but that's but that's not going to happen here. (laughs) They are not going to cooperate. That's not happening. So they're they're in the fight or flee uh, place. And so what is the teaching? The teaching is Hit Yatzvu Alti Ra'u was first. You can't. You you must confront the fear and get a handle on it. Alti Ra'u. Don't don't be afraid. Doesn't mean you can't feel fear. It means don't go there. Don't allow the fear to become the thing that takes over. You you have to confront the fear. And to do that, you have to stand still. Be present. Stand still. Just stop.
2: You're selling meditation?
1: I'm selling meditation. Absolutely. This is a commercial for what comes next is just be still. Because you can't do anything until you there are things that have to happen before you can do anything. Because anything you're gonna do right now is not gonna be good, right? Do not make big decisions from this place. <laughs> right? When you're in this place, when you're stuck between the sea and Pharaoh, you can't go back, but it looks like you'll die if you go forward. We panic, okay, and we get mad, and we we want to run, or we want to blame somebody, okay. But stop. Just Hit vu, stand still, u'r oo and look. Watch. Witness. Just stop and look at Yeshua Adonai, at the deliverance of Yudhei Vavhe, who will act on your behalf. We have to just get out of the way sometimes and just watch what's unfolding. Watch God's ability to move in our lives. And to, and to have things happen, right? Okay. Um, and that's gonna happen. God's gonna work. God's gonna, like, do what God does in, through us and in this world and through other people and all of that stuff. And you need to just shut up, okay. be quiet, get quiet. We, we start, and it doesn't just mean out loud, right? I believe this also means in our monkey mind that goes, oh my God, oh my God, and I should have done it, I knew this was going to happen, it always happens to me, why is it always, be? all of the shh. noise. Be quiet, just settle down. That is the only thing to do when we're in a place of this kind of danger, existential danger. We start freaking out and panicking. Here are the instructions of what we're supposed to do. But God's going to give us another one at verse 15. Bert. Then
0: the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry out to me? Tell the Israelites to go forward. And you lift up your rod and hold out your arm over the sea and split it so that the Israelites may march into the sea (coughs) on dry ground. And I will stiffen the hearts of the Egyptians so that they go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his warriors, his chariots, and his horsemen. Let the Egyptians know that I am the Lord. Then I gain glory through Pharaoh. His when chariots, I, when I gain when, glory, me, When I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Okay.
1: So Moshe turns to God and says, uh, "No." Th- then God says to Moshe, "Why do you cry out to me? Tell the Israelites to go forward."
0: Has he cried out
1: to God? We do not have any indication that Moshe has said one word. What did Moshe just say? Shut up to the people. God then says to Moshe, why are you crying out to me? We have no indication that Moses has said anything to God. Maybe he's Are again. we missing something? Is it not here? Is it a variant tradition where that was in? Could it be that Moshe is afraid too? And God doesn't need Moshe to talk out loud for God to know that Moshe might be looking like the leader, but he's also panicking. And he's not he may be not only panicking, but he might be panicking on two counts. Pharaoh's army's coming, there's water ahead, and the Israelites are blaming him. So Moshe's, Moshe's in danger on all counts, on all fronts. Possibly, a lot of us look like we have it together, <laughs> right? But you put us up before a high holiday audience, and... <laughs> inside we're panicking right we're standing in front of the Jews and we're about to bare our soul and they're going to judge whether it was good or not you panic but you and so God apparently sees or knows something because says to Moses stop crying out to me there is so much midrash here about and it's interesting the midrash is written by people who spend most of their day studying and praying the rabbis wrote the midrash. And a lot of the midrash is about there's a time to pray mm-hmm. and a time to act. And that God is saying to Moshe, quit davening. This is not the time to daven. You can you can bench later, right? But it, right now is the time for action. Quit praying. Look up from your Talmud and get moving. Tell the people to get going.
2: Um, why do you cry out? Is, is there a singular and plural you? Singular.
1: And this is singular. Yes.
2: When this rabbi marched with Martin Luther King, he said, I'm praying with my feet. I, I forgot, forgot his name. Heschel. Heschel.
1: Yes. Abraham Joshua Heschel. And that seems to be God's directive here. There are times for you to pray, and there are times for you to pray with your feet. And it's time for the Israelites to pray with their feet. They need to start moving. So Nachshon is a midrash on what's coming up in a few minutes. Uh, So I find it fascinating that the rabbis go to great lengths. to. They have many different midrashim where they talk about um, that there's a time for long prayer and a time for short prayer. There's a time to pray. There's a time to act. These are all people who spent their day praying. I love that, right, that they are able to write a midrash that says, see, see, sometimes you have to lift your face out of the book and act. All right, so we have to do all the things we saw, and we're going we're gonna to look at um, a handout that takes us back through those words, so I'm not going to spend too much time right now, uh, but after we okay. shut up, <laughs> right, <laughs> we, we need to find a way to take the first step. We have, we have to take a step. Right? We can't just how come, why is it always, and and look up at the heavens and say fix it. That, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. We have to take the first steps.
2: I mean, I know there are stories about the, uh, what the Torah said, but I did that the machine
0: we're in, like you said, the story of Nakshan is a midrash um, about that in the Torah. So
1: I thought they were kind of not separate, but based on the Torah, but they were stories about. them yeah, they are. They are. You're Christian
0: right. Also. So that, is Nakshan mentioned in here? No.
1: Only his name, but nothing about him jumping into the water. That is only midrash. And people think it's in the Torah, by the way. People say, well, where's where's Nachshon? Wait a minute. Like, where's where he goes down into the water? It's a midrash, but it's become so beloved as a midrash that people don't tell this story anymore without talking about Nachshon, which I find fascinating. Why are people so hooked on Nachshon? Right? Like, I'm not not being facetious. I, I find it, I'm very curious about what it is about the Nakshon story mm-hmm. that has us so attached to it that we can't tell this story without it right, right now. And I don't know how many generations that's been true. I don't, I don't know how popular it's been in the past. I just know right now it is hugely popular.
2: Because he was so courageous when other people were stuck.
0: It's personalized. So it's, it's, it's it's a person that we can relate to as opposed to a million people taking a step into the water. It's one person that we
2: can try to relate that to. Just takes
1: one. Just takes one. Alright, let's go there. You will lift up your rod and hold your arm over the sea and split it so that the Israelites may march into the sea on dry ground. And I will stiffen the hearts of the Egyptians so that they go after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh, right? All this is going to happen. Then we're going to go to verse 19.
0: Hmm. The angel of God who'd been going ahead of the Israelite army now moved and followed behind them. And the pillar of cloud shifted from in front of them and took up a place behind them. And it came between the army of the Egyptians and the army of Israel. Hmm. Thus there was the cloud with the darkness, and it cast a spell upon the night, so that one could not come near the other all through the night. Then Moses held out his arm over the sea and the Lord drove back the sea with a strong east wind all that night and turned the sea into dry ground. The waters were split and the Israelites went into the sea on dry ground, the waters forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. The Egyptians came in pursuit after them into the sea, all of Pharaoh's horses, chariots and horsemen. At the morning watch the Lord looked down upon the Egyptian army from a pillar of fire and cloud and threw the Egyptian army into panic. He locked the wheels of their chariots so that they moved forward with difficulty and the Egyptians said, let us flee from the Israelites for the Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, hold out your arm over the sea that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians and upon the chariots and upon their horsemen. Moses held out his arm over the sea and at daybreak the sea returned to its normal state and the Egyptians fled at its approach. But the Lord hurled the Egyptians into the sea. The waters turned back and covered the chariots and the horsemen. Pharaoh's entire army that followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. But the Israelites had marched through the sea on dry ground, the waters forming a wall for them on their right and on their left.
1: There are, if you do not understand what just happened, you are not alone. The Hebrew is very tangled in terms of the actual visual imagery of what happened. This is just like, where else do we have this? (laughs) (laughs) We have it at Sinai. Go up, come down, but he's already down, then he's told to go up. Like, it's like, it's very twisted, it's very convoluted. You can't really... Visualize what's happening. It doesn't make a lot of sense. That's remember the Ish. Remember Yaakov wrestling with the Ish. Who's talking? I don't know. It's an Ish. It's a Malach. It's a it's a burning bush. I don't know. Right there. It's it's very. Whenever we have something that is about God and and major action, it is one of the ways the Hebrew gets at the inexplicability of it is for it to be inexplicable. Mm-hmm. It's confusing. It's meant to be. It is. How would you do it with a camera if you were a movie maker and you want to have a scene where it's all kind of surreal? You, 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 you take the lens out of focus, maybe. You shake the camera. like you, you do something to disrupt the visual field and make it not normal. One of the ways that's done in, in literature, in the storytelling, is to make it kind of convoluted. There are some people who want to suggest that there are two traditions here. Because if you read carefully... In one, it seems that God, from one direction, blows all of the water in one direction. And then, when the Egyptians get there, the, brings the wall of water back, returns the sea, and drowns them. that That's one, like, tidal wave. That is one version, is it this is a tidal wave. Like, it, all the water is, like, sucked up over here, and then it comes rushing back. Another version seems to be that the, the water splits and stands, right? Walls of water on either side. The Israelites go through and then the water returns when the Egyptians come in. If you look carefully at the Hebrew, it says it, at Shirat Hayam, at the Song of the Sea, which we're not going to get to today. Sus for Rochavo Ramavayam. Horse and chariot, usually you will see it translated, were hurled into the sea. Rama does not mean hurled. Rama means lifted up. With the Yad Rama. They leave Egypt with a Yad Rama. An uplifted hand, an uplifted arm. It's the same word, Rama. They were Rama Vayam. The Sus, the horse, and the rider were lifted up in the sea. Suggests a tidal wave, right? So, so Some kind of you know they, they are lifted up and then, <laughs> right? They go down when it returns. Um, in any case, right? It seems there's something that happens with water, and we are told that the, the Israelites go uh, on Yabasha b'toch Hayam, dry ground in the midst of the sea. The rabbis love this. They have lots of midrashim dealing with was it sea or was it yavasha? Was it dry land? You can't have both. Right? And so they love this kind of paradox of that it's dry land in the sea. Uh, they have a lovely midrash about Ruven and Shimon. It's always Reuven and Shimon. Yeah. Ruven and Shimon are walking through the, the this. When it happens, the water splits. Well, if the water splits, it's not going to be the land is not going to be dry yeah. in the rabbinic imagination, right? If the the water may part, so you can get through, but what's it going to be like? Mud, it's going to be mud. It's going to be like gross, right? So, um, so the in the I love this midrash, and Rabbi uh, Larry Kushner uh, does a great job with this uh, explicating this midrash. Um, The sea parts, Reuven and Shimon are walking going, ugh, oh my god, can you believe this? These are, these were new sandals. I just got these sandals last week at Bloomingdale's and can you, can you believe that we have to now, and look how much further we have to go. Like we're not even halfway there yet. And, and so, and this goes on and on and on and on until Reuven and Shimon reach the other side and the waters return and kill all. Reuven and Shimon completely missed the miracle. Completely missed the miracle. They were on the other side, going, "Ugh, where can I get this off? Is there a stick over there? Give me one of those reeds. Give me one of those reeds, and I'll get all this crap off." And, and right, and have completely missed the miracle. And Rabbi Kushner says, "This happens every single day. We miss the miracle every day." Right. Because we are so busy fetching about the mud and our shoes and how far there is to go. And what's right here, the muck that's like right here that we completely miss the miracle all the time. And that part of our and the spiritual teaching of this is we need to pay attention. We need to lift our eyes up from. Our cell, <laughs> our cell phones and the next one that happens $50 to your favorite charity. I'm just saying, um, so, the, the,
2: <laughs>
1: so turn, turn them off people. Cause 50 bucks is a lot of money. You could buy a nice pair of sandals for 50 bucks. I'm just saying. So we need to lift our eyes up from the garbage, right? Cause that's what we see. And of course there's mud. There's always going to be mud. But if, If you're slogging through the mud, looking at the walls of water and all the fish swimming in there. Like if you if you aren't focusing on the fact that the divine has manifested in your life to bring you to this moment of being able to walk in the mud and not drown because your enemies are being held back from killing it. Like all the things that could destroy you that didn't today. (laughs) If you can see that, then you're like, okay, so there's mud. There's always going to be mud. We can't get to the other side without mud. Okay, take off your shoes, you know, roll up your pants, put your big girl panties on, and let's go. How amazing is this, right? So th- th- that's a choice. That is a choice given to us all the time, every single day. Are hey,
2: you talking about gratitude?
1: 100%. Awareness, mindfulness, right? And choosing what we focus on. Reuben and Shimon chose to focus on the mud and they completely missed what happened. The whole miracle. The rabbis also say that, that the lowest of the, you know, slaves of the slaves, you know, that the lowest slave, which is, has to be female, of course. Mm-hmm. So the, you know, the lowest handmaid, uh, at this, uh, moment saw more than the greatest, you know, visionaries of times after this and for me i think one of the things that is saying is it doesn't have to it doesn't you don't have to be brilliant to notice the miraculous you just have to be awake and anybody can see it if they're paying attention. It doesn't take a rocket scientist. Sometimes the rocket scientists will miss the whole thing because they're busy, oh, you know, with their little protractor and like doing whatever on the, on the grid paper, whatever that stuff's called, graph paper, and like they they, they miss a lot. So I, I love that midrash that the lowest of the handmaid saw here more than. You know, all the geniuses after that, and and because I think we often think I'm not smart enough to be enlightened. I don't read enough spiritually challenging texts. I don't know this stuff. I don't know the Midrashim, so I it's not it's not accessible to me, right? And our tradition is very clear. It, it's absolutely accessible if we're paying attention, because the, the miracles are happening all the time.
2: I think it's also. Difference between being a parent and a grandparent. That a grandparent can step back and see the miracles happening while parents are involved
1: in the, They're in the mud. The mud. <laughs> parents are in the mud. Right? Uh, you know, I've noticed
2: that, and maybe we could talk
1: about wisdom. I think wisdom is the ability to pull one's attention up from the mud. Mm -hmm. That's wisdom. And that comes with experience. And it comes with exercising that muscle. And it comes with realizing the mud's not going to kill you. The Egyptians might, (laughs) (laughs) right? Um, But the the mud's not going to kill you. And we get so distracted by the mud. And look, to be fair to parents, we don't do it well. We don't do this well. I've told you this before, right? The nuclear family is a failed experiment we don't do this well. We are not designed to live in little tiny units with two generations in the house. It doesn't work. So, parents parents are put in an impossible position in our society. They have no support unless they can afford a nanny and then, so then they get some support, but if you do, can't afford that, in general, the parents are working whether inside of the home or outside of the home, they're working to provide for the family, including sometimes their parents mm-hmm. and their children. And, and they are working so hard to do that that they are often absolutely, they're lunatics. The amount of pressure on people these days to provide is crazy because then you have to provide emotional support to each other as a couple. If you're a couple, if you're a single parent, Okay, forget about it. Just forget about it. But if you're a couple, you're supposed to then be each other's confidant and each other's playmates and each other's work partners because you have to do work around the house and divide the labor. And then you have to be co-parents and figure out how to do we discipline them, do we not discipline? Is this a big deal? Is it a not a big deal? I don't like her tone. Is it that baby you want to die on that cross? Is that really? So the whole thing. And then you're then then at night you're supposed to want to make love to this person. <laughs> Right? I just exhausted Maria. So we're, su- we're supposed to then be lovers. We're supposed to be lovers after all that. And then we, right? And then we wonder that the divorce rate is at 52%. Of course it is. Couples get no support. They don't get support. And you have to make play dates to see anybody. Who has time to do that? I think it's one of the reasons KI is so important right? It's because we sit around the table, different generations coming together. We come together and it's all right here in your neighborhood. It's done for you. A place where you can meet other and be with other quality people and have quality conversation. This is, I am not, and I swear I'm not just spouting like, cause it's me. I, I, it's why I spend my life doing this because I believe it's one of the few things that will cure the real poison of our time, which is that parents in particular are completely in the mud. and a lot of grandparents too, right? Because they get caught in all of that. That's so stressful. And so it's so anxiety that just people are so anxious, uh, in our culture because we're focused on the wrong stuff. And I'm not saying achieving isn't important. Of course it is. Providing materially for your children. Of course. And emotionally, of course. And there's more that helps you do that than work, Mm -hmm. right? There's, Coming to synagogue, like being engaged in other kinds of conversation. Um, you, you know, like if when we shift our focus, if we shifted our focus more, we wouldn't be so miserable. Um, I believe this. The, what we have done as a people with this text is address exactly <clears throat> what you're talking about. That, that would that we could start as grandparents, but we can't. <laughs> <You> know, like, <laughs> right? You have to go through the mud. You have to go through the Midbar. They're going to spend 40 years in the Midbar before they get to the promised land. It's 40 years because it takes a long time to get there, right? Why don't we kill them? The promise, the promise, of grandchildren. the promise of grandchildren is why we don't kill our teenagers. I'll buy it. Um, and they, there's a wonderful bumper sticker. If I'd have known grandchildren were this much fun, I would have had them first. <laughs> Sarah is suggesting Uh-oh. that having adolescence Uh-oh. is like wandering through the midbar, both for them and for us. Because it for sure is the unknown for them, which is terrifying for them, the unknown that's happening to them and that's laid out before them. It's terrifying. And then we don't have a clue how to get them through it. Or how to tolerate them while they're in it. But isn't this a, a more recent phenomenon? Because more, it not even that long ago, adolescents were married and out of the house. Yeah. Yes. I mean, yes and yes. Definitely this is a, a new phenomenon. Yes. And thank God for it. Yeah. Right? <laughs> thank, thank God our kids are not expected to so at that point, though, go from puberty to parenting.
2: Like we who are... Right? New grandkids are not a new grandkids, but um, have been through the Mibar more than once. <laughs> because we had to go through it ourselves, and now we're watching our children and our mm-hmm. grandchildren. And I don't know whatever wisdom we can uh, bring. To, but, um.
1: Yep. Today, and it's some different, right, when, how we went through it. And we have to be careful not to impose our mid-bar experience right. on theirs, Absolutely. right? That's what I've spent a lot of my time doing these days, is making sure, Amy, is this your experience that you're projecting, or are you truly, is there truly some wisdom there that she, she's ready for out of her own experience, right? Is, it's a really hard, particularly when you're raising your clone. It's not an, easy, not an easy thing, I'm just saying. So I'll share with you um, from some other folks, and then we'll go to the paper that I gave you by Rabbi Rachel Goldenberg. Uh, First Rabbi Yael Shai uh, talks about this moment where they're at the sea, and Pharaoh's coming up behind them, and she says, We are stuck, completely stuck. What do we do? We display what Aviva Zornberg calls radical doubt. And what happens when we experience radical doubt, she says, and we blame. We start to blame others. These are the classic responses to feeling stuck and afraid. When we truly don't know how to get out of the mess it looks like we're in, we begin to panic and panic leads to anger, blame, sometimes of ourselves, sometimes of others, and a desire to go backwards, even if going backwards is not an option. Right? How many times do we want to go back um, to what's familiar. Even if it was horrible, um, it's familiar. She says, I don't think it's accidental that Moshe's words come in the order that they do, right? That we just saw what Moshe says to the people. We must calm down, be still, and resist panic and despair if we are to find a way out. We must trust that our distorted, fearful views we see in times of pain and struggle are fleeting, we have to stay in the not knowing longer than is comfortable in order to allow our path to emerge. Because we're panicking at the not knowing, right? That's, that's what am I going to do? I don't know. And that's when we panic.
2: We fear,
1: Hmm? Exactly. Rami Shapiro also comments on all of these words. And I love... I love what he does with it. He says, what what does Moshe say to the people? Do not be afraid. And Rami says there are two kinds of fear. Fear that liberates and fear that freezes. And so what he's saying to them is, don't be the kind of afraid where you freeze. And he says, Rami says, we think we're afraid of the unknown. He says, but that's impossible. You can't be afraid of something you don't know. You're afraid that something that's happened is going to happen again. We are never afraid of the unknown. We are afraid that what's ahead of us is going to have a component of something that's happened before. We're going to get hurt. We're going to be betrayed. We're going to have our hopes dashed. We're going to you know, fill in the blank. Whatever we're mo- Whatever has most wounded us, that's what we're afraid is coming, which I think is brilliant. I think it's absolutely genius. Because it's true. In my experience, that's true. We're afraid of the unknown circumstances, of course, and what's unfamiliar, of course. But but that's not what really scares us. What scares us is, I've been here before, and it was horrible, right? Like, we're afraid that's what's going to happen. depends on
2: how you handle what was
1: there before. I can't hear you. I'm
2: sorry. I said it depends on how you handle what was there before.
1: Possibly. Possibly. But even if you handled it well, we might be terrified that it's coming again. Right? Because I might have to do that again. And I don't want to do that again. That was terrible. That uh, the fear that liberates, because remember in Hebrew, the word yirah is both fear and awe. That the fear that liberates is closer to awe. Right? So we can get in the fear that freezes us, or we can look at that fear and say, can we shift this towards awe? That's what part of the instruction Moshe is giving them, of course. Um, Take courage and see is how uh, Rami Shapiro translates that part. And he says, Moshe urges the people not to be afraid, not to freeze, but doesn't yet urge them to move on. That's coming, but it's not yet. Before they can move, there's other stuff that has to happen. They have to have the courage to take those first steps. They must face and accept the reality of their experience only when they see what their options are, can they move forward? They have to stop and settle down and see. They have to look. Going back to Egypt, yes, that's one option. Is it the best option? Probably not. Let's look and see what other options might be available here. And uh, speak to the people of Israel. I love this. When God says to Moshe, speak to the people and tell them to move forward. Rami says, speak, don't argue. (laughs) Speak. Don't yell. Speak. Don't command. Tell them to move forward. You can't drag them. Th- tell them, speak to them, and tell them, right? What do we tend to do? Yell, argue, command, demand, right? Um, manipulate. You know, just, just talk to them. Talk to them and tell them to move forward. But they have to move. You can't, Moses, do it for them. They, you have to let go. You can't drag them through the sea. Much as you want to think you're in control, you are not. They have to make up their minds. It has to be their will and their decision, and they have to take the first steps forward. The Midrash says, and this is a very famous Midrash, the Midrash says that when Moshe raises his staff, nothing happens. Doesn't happen. And Moshe keeps raising his staff and nothing happens. This is the moment all these midrashim, including Nachshon, come in to play. That nothing happens until they move, until someone moves. That's why it says tell them to move forward. Why? Because God can't do it. God can't split the water. Nothing can open up that hasn't been before until they move. They have to believe. They have to believe. They have to take those first steps. So one version is that they're all going, I don't want to go, I don't want to go, I'm not going, I'm not going, which is what we tend to do right now. It's not going to be me. It's not going to be, me. I don't to be me. And Nachshon, meanwhile, is walking. And Nachshon walks down to the water and walks to his ankles and then to his calves, his knees, his waist, his chest, his neck. And as soon as the water fills his nostrils, The miracle happens and it parts. That's that's the Midrash of Nachshon. That that is what, in fact, affected the miracle. That he was willing to go till the water was essentially over his head. And then the miracle happens. They took that courage and that faith and that belief that it was possible for it to happen. It can't happen if we don't believe it's possible. The miracle cannot happen. If we don't believe it's possible, the other midrash that I love is that everyone's arguing about who's going to go in and and I'm not going to go in. It's why should it be me? and 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 meanwhile, quietly, the women all link arms and the women start moving forward. And as this chain of women moves forward, it pushes the men into the sea and the sea parts. Right? That it's like the, the women link arms and say, oh, my God, really? How many times have we been here? And they just walk, and they just do it. And they let the men keep arguing and talking and thinking and analyzing. And it could happen this way. It could happen or way. maybe if we step you right know. And while all that's happening, the women just keep moving forward. They're the of, but I love that the men have no idea, and the women are just... The men have no idea what's going on. Right? They're still arguing about what's the best way, and, well, we stand over here, and maybe, maybe if this tribe starts, and they're all analyzing and planning and the women just walk and make it happen. (laughs) Right? All right. So um, let's look at the Rabbi Goldenberg. So I wanted to give you something that you could take home that has some of this in it. Page one, the second paragraph. The Israelites are trapped. They have nowhere to go. The Egyptian army is gaining on them. Right? Blah, 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 blah. Fear turns to anger, turns to blame. They are so overwhelmed that they are ready to head back to slavery. Mm-hmm. In verses 13 and 14, Moshe's response is to tell them, Hit vu, stand still, watch what's happening, or ooh, and get quiet. Classic mindfulness instructions. <laughs> right? Um, a force, drop, drop down to the end of the next paragraph, a force much greater than themselves, will neutralize the danger, causing the Egyptians to drown... To drown in the meantime, the Israelites' challenge is to stand by and witness without fighting or running back to Egypt right uh, we probably we can probably think of examples in our own lives, likely not as dramatic as the scene at the sea, but what we are when we are feeling attacked, endangered, cornered or overwhelmed, where we are tempted to run away or fight back. this has been my week. this teaching was dropped in my lap. This has been my week. Cornered, overwhelmed, endangered, tempted to run away or fight back. This is what we do. This is classic. It could be a situation or an interaction at work or at home. Um, it doesn't matter because it's the same thing. In my own life, it could be something as mundane as she goes on to talk about being invited to speak. Should I speak? I don't know. I'm so overwhelmed. I'm so busy. But if I don't speak, well, I, You know, just like the place we go whenever we get like caught in this. Um, and she says that next paragraph. In these situations, when I can call upon my inner Moses, reminding me to stand by and witness, I'm much more likely to do the wise thing and not. She says "Say yes or no right away, but I'm going to say act rashly. Later, with more witnessing and sitting with the fear and anger, I can breathe and soften around the enmity, creating more space internally. I can then come back to the the decision with a clear head, my ego in check, and a more realistic sense of what will best serve me, my family, and the world. There it is. Amen. Amen stay for the next hour and uh, see what it can work in your life I'm going to have Sarah close uh, as become our my custom you may even not, not know it but she did this last time we were at this Parsha I'm going to have Sarah close with a poem by Marge Piercy called Magid The Telling The
2: courage to let go of the door the handle the courage to shed the familiar walls whose very stains and leaks are comfortable as the little moles of the upper arm, stains that recall a feast, a child's naughtiness, a loud battering storm that slapped the roof hard, pouring through, the courage to abandon the graves dug into the hill, the small bones of children and the brittle bones of the old whose marrow hunger had stolen, the courage to desert the tree planted and only begun to bear, the riverside where promises were shaped, the street where their empty pots were broken, the courage to leave the place whose language you learned as early as your own whose customs, however dangerous or demeaning, bind you like a halter you have learned to pull inside to move your load. The land, fertile with the blood spilled on it, the roads mapped and annotated for survival. The courage to walk out of the pain that is known into the pain that cannot be imagined mapless walking into the wilderness going barefoot with a canteen into the desert stuffed in the stinking hold of a rotting ship sailing off the map into dragons mouths Cathay India Siberia Golden and Medina leaving bodies by the way like abandoned treasure. So they walked out of Egypt. So they bribed their way out of Russia under loads of straw. So they steamed out of the bloody, smoking charnel house of Europe on overloaded freighters, forbidden all ports out of pain into death or freedom or a different painful dignity into squalor and politics. We Jews are all born of wanderers with shoes under our pillows and a memory of blood that is ours raining down. We honor only those Jews who changed tonight, those who chose the desert over bondage, who walked into the strange and became strangers and gave birth to children who could look down on them, standing on their shoulders for having been slaves. We honor those who let go of everything but freedom, who ran, who revolted, who fought, who became other by saving themselves.
1: Wow. A beautiful way to hold our story. That is our story. And we are, we chose the desert over bondage.
2: She tells it all.
1: She tells it all. There's our history. And she doesn't
2: spare the children Of those who lost everything, Mm
1: -hmm. to bear them in freedom. And to have those children look down on them for having been slaves. Mm -hmm. Those children who make fun or are embarrassed by the parents' accent, right? And um, all the pain Mm -hmm. that 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 engenders for everybody, and that we, Mm -hmm. but we choose that pain over bondage, Mm -hmm. and we have to do it all the time. And we honor all of those everywhere in this world, not just Jews, everybody in this world who's chosen the incredible pain of what's not, not even imaginable um, to be free. And may we do everything we need to to make sure that we are helping all of those who need to be free and want to be free and are working hard to be free. May we do everything we can to help them reach the Golden and Medina. Shabbat shalom.